the constants of the universe, gravitational, speed of light, whatever, were all tiny, tiny bit different, like different one part in a billion or something. Maybe in our daily lives, we would not notice. But over the history of the universe, things would be so fundamentally changed that our existences would just not be the same. Yeah, or we wouldn't exist at all. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. We're going to do cosmic queries today, the grab bag version. I got with me my co host, of course, Chuck Nice. Chuck. Hey, 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 what's up, Neil? All right, professional stand up comedian and actor. Got Gary O'Reilly, former soccer pro. How are you doing, Gary? I'm good, Neil. So this is this is Cosmic Quarry's grab bag, which mm-hmm. takes us to a broader stretch of the geekosphere than normally I can handle all by myself. And so, guys, we brought in the big guns for this. And who would that be? The one and only Charles Liu, my friend and colleague. Hey, Charles. Yes. Welcome back. We need the crowd noise. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, all hail the geek in chief. Our Ray. returning champion. Oh, Ray, champ and, and still champion. You are all too kind. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be and back. And to put this Thanks in context, the me, geek everyone. spectrum, the geekosphere knows no bounds in its extremities. So, uh, yes, I'm card carrying geek and I'm proud of it and I can hold my own on the street. But Charles Liu walks in the house in the room. Uh oh! Now, now we hail. Just, now we All just hail. entered. We entered the multi gigaverse. <laughs> oh, we have entered the multi gigaverse. All right, folks. We got Neil and Chuck Liu. Oh Watch my out. gosh! So, so Charles, you are a, a professor of astronomy and physics at uh, uh, City University of Staten Island in New York. Is that fair enough? And That's correct. Do they still mm-hmm. give you uh, administrative duties now, or are you you back in? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, regrettably or happily, I'm oh, currently wow. chair yeah, sorry of my to hear department. That. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, on the one hand, yes, there's a lot of paper, these days electrons, I guess, that one has to push that one wishes one does not have to push. But on the other hand, you get a chance to really yeah, enact yeah, there you go. change. You can help, you know, the, the 21st century classroom yeah, yeah. be what it is. You can design curriculum and move things along better and so I, I really welcome the challenge. And, and I'm very fortunate, too, that, that my colleagues uh, yeah. are great. Uh, there's not a jerk or a among is. which yeah, yeah, many exactly, departments, exactly. yeah, many times departments I really want to look up that. the uh, origin of the double-edged sword analogy, metaphor, because, mm. you know, when it comes to killing people, I want a double-edged sword. <laughs> but, we, but we use not, it. Not necessarily. Why, why wouldn't you? No, think of. Think about the scimitar. I okay? know it's a curved it's, blade. It's right. heavy on one side, and as a result, the front side sharp, can be very, right. very sharp. And meanwhile, you have much more force going that way. And then you poke in the other direction. So not having the blade actually gives you an advantage because you have a strength of striking one direction. There is a story that uh, goes that during mm-hmm. the Crusades, uh, Richard the Lionhearted tried to demonstrate to the Saracen prince that he was going to, just how powerful uh, the crusaders were, he took his two-sided sword and severed an iron bar with a single stroke because of his great power. And the Saracen prince then came back, Mm -hmm. brought his scimitar, took a feather pillow, sliced it, and sliced the pillow exactly in half with the scimitar. You can't but do you that can't with do a that with a Ginsu knife. So screw that prince. <laughs> Ginsu knife. That prince, prince is not that impressive. <laughs> and and yeah. was it a my pillow pillow? Because I mean, let's be real. <laughs> wait, 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 why can't a double-edged sword cut a pillow in half? The double-edged sword could cut a pillow in half, but it was not built to cut a pillow in half. And as a result, it was built for strength and power. But there was no, no not, subtle, not, not precision, right? No if precision. You, no, it was the broadsword, right. and it was meant right. to. It was meant to be used to fight against soldiers or knights in chainmail armor. Right. So therefore, the scimitar is not right. going to poke a hole through. Yeah. If the I metal. can't, if I can't cut through the armor, right. I'll just break your arm. Yep. 
Pretty much. Pretty yeah, much right. what it was. But but what but but what the scimitar can do is basically scalpel things, surgically remove limbs and things, uh, digits, in such a way that uh, you can be as armored as you want, but you still See, can't do what you want to do. See, but where I go back to my point, why not just have a double-edged scimitar? <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm... Because the second edge, because the second edge reduces the ability of the first edge. It's a trade-off between one side and the other. Mm, okay. Well, you're a real know-it-all, ain't you? I know it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Hey, you know, you should Lord be on our nice. podcast, you know? You Thank you. <laughs> you see? Oh, oh that was fast. Okay. That was good shit. Sure. All right, so we got we got questions from our <laughs> Patreon members. And mm -hmm. This is a grab bag, so it's it's anything in sports, right? Science is um, sports. I, I think it's I think you just end that sentence at it's anything. It's anything. Okay, let, let, let's go with it. This is sports edition, though, so we can put a sports spin on it. So, mm -hmm. Chuck and Gary, you got the questions, but bring it on. And I'll help right. out, like, when it's my turn or when I think I can help. But oh, you'll, you'll, you'll be involved, Neil. Guaranteed. Generally, you. I am unnecessary in the presence of Charles. Just <sighs> no, let's no, make no, that no. clear. Ah, I'm not. All okay. right, well, let's, let's kick no. off the first one. Dan Rez, and thank you to all our Patreon patrons for involving themselves in our request for questions. So here we go. I have another question because this is one of several that uh, Dan decided he'd drop into our inbox. If time is a constant but is affected in a way by gravity, is there, theoretically, a way to manipulate time? If gravity waves can affect how time moves and speed can make time move either faster or slower depending on vantage, and he says in brackets, I guess... Is there a way, obviously, theoretically, to manipulate time? Also, is there a correlation in size and time? Let's say, hypothetically, there's an object or being that is bigger than the universe itself. Would time act differently due to the larger mass? And would this thing experience time as we do? And does the fact that the size difference allows for faster movement also perception of time to said thing or being? Now, that's the end of the show because that question is particularly <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. There's no more time left. No, there's no, no more time. We're out of time. Out of and time. And by the way, but, but just out of curiosity, is time a constant the way the speed of light is a constant? Because that's how he started. Mm. Well, here's what it I'm going to do. Okay. It is I'm going to reshape the question into please. something that's one right. and a half sentences long. And I'm going to hand please. it to Charles. Charles, as, the, as Dan yes. knows, different factors affect the rate of passage of time. We know this. Sources of gravity, how fast you're moving, how much mass you are. So, might there be a future time where we can manipulate these factors and make time make time do what we become the time overlords and make Ooh, time do what we want. Doctor Who. Dan, hey Dan, <laughs> that was a don't question, Dan. I just, I think that's what he's after, but I've said it. If I don't care work. if that's what he's after or not. That's well, what he's asking now. Right. That's a great question. That's right. amazing. Right. Well, well, this is a great question. It's very complicated. Lots of great stuff involved. Here's how I think about it. Here's how I approach something like this. Time is a dimension, right? You go back to, to general theory of relativity. Time, manipulating time is like talking about manipulating length, width, or height. In other words, we don't manipulate the dimensions itself. We manipulate where we are in that dimension, how we travel in that dimension, which direction we move, uh -huh, speed at which we move, things like that. So the answer really, you're, you're combining two different things. One is the idea of time as a dimension. And the idea, and the second idea is time as we experience it as humans or as individual organisms or things in the universe. So the answer is yes, we can absolutely manipulate how we experience time in the future. Uh, we, if we could, for example, go near a black hole, uh, we would change our time experience. Uh, we can manipulate how we fast we move through space, you know, length, width, and height. In the same way, we can manipulate how fast we move through time. Just by picking up our speed, getting close to the speed of light, we know that there's this phenomenon called time dilation. The important thing to think about is, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to change the dimension of time itself? Or are you trying to change what we are experiencing or what others are experiencing in the form of time? This latter thing is certainly doable 
given the right technology. But boy, does the technology have to be pretty So what would happen advanced. is if we do master it, you could have a whole other set of people that we might call time bandits. Oh. Ooh, see what I did there. <laughs> Names um, have been taken, Neil. Movie, Sorry time about Time bandits. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Maybe, yeah, some other time. Or what was that movie where time was a, a commodity? And you could oh. take it or give it to people. Do you remember uh, that movie? Starring uh, Justin Timberlake. Oh, yes. And yeah, he was in it, and so was the guy from... from was it? Uh, the Big Bang Theory. Um, he, he was in it, too. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, uh, well, is this the one where, where everyone had a set amount of time to live, and the moment your time ran out, you would just tip over and die? But until then, you would never age? Yeah, and you could just uh, hand the yeah. time. You and, could and buy you just, it or sell it, commoditize it, get it on the, right. on the black market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That that's a classic idea of time, you know, taken to the extreme, of course, of time as a resource. Mm. Right. If you talk to say human resource managers or, or people who, who wish to uh, optimize a corporation or an individual's ability to get stuff done, they think of time as a resource and say you have 24 hours each day. How do you apportion it to all the different things you do? How do you make it more efficient? Things like that, right? Uh as a physicist, uh you might think more about time as a dimension, uh, which is what Einstein considered as the right If only we right could put it about. in a bottle. But yeah, there are many different ways. Time in a bottle. The first time thing that I'd like to do. Mm. What would you time, do? What would wow. you do that first thing? I would sing it. But there never seems to be enough it. time That's to right. do the <laughs> things. <right? laughs> uh, well, well, time has yeah. come today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at least time is on my side. Oh, no. And time for another question. Mm, um, <laughs> look at that. And he wins. So that's why he's the champion. Look at that. Goes out with a little Mick Jagger on us. Can't, can't beat that. Gary, what else you got? All right. Samuel Barnett. Uh, greetings from London. That's London, England. Oh, look at uh, that. Uh, not London, that? Connecticut. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, not to be mistaken. Uh, a bit of a hypothetical question. Given enough advanced technology, would it be possible? I think you're going to like this. Uh, would it be possible for an advanced alien civilization to steal our sun before the other side of the world noticed it was missing? Ah, a, great well, question. They, they, they have eight minutes to pull off the world's greatest heist. <laughs> there you go. The, the, the yeah, solar system's yeah, greatest true. heist, right, Chad? But you're exactly right. So the thing is, it would take eight minutes plus to get the information to the Earth that it's missing. But then... The side that's facing away from the Earth, uh, excuse me, the side of the Earth that's facing away from the sun at, at that moment would still know right away, like within moments, that it was missing because of all the different things it does other than shine, right? Because of all the different things that the sun does to the Earth other than shine. First of all, the shine is interesting enough, right? The, each second, the amount of sunshine that hits the Earth uh, is equivalent to millions of atomic bombs, right? Uh, and as a result, you're you're already removing that heat and that heat's going to flow completely differently than when the sun is shining. The equilibrium's completely messed up, right? Second of all, the gravitational effect is missing immediately. So the entire Earth would start moving in a direction completely different from what it was doing when it was still in the sun's gravitational field, right? So... Um, it might fly straight off into another direction, right? It's like if you let go of a a lasso uh, and you let the string go and then the thing just goes flying straight away, right? You have a brick on a string or something and you spin it. The moment you let go of the string, the brick heads off in a straight line. All of the earth would go at the same time in that direction. Uh, And so there's all kinds of things that would immediately affect the entire earth the moment that the information that the sun was gone. Or maybe we just like finally get a chance to go make out with Mars. Mm, It would be fun, except Mars is heading off in its own direction (laughs) at that point. (laughs) Mars is like, I don't want anything to do with you, Earth. I'm I'm heading to the All the planets. All the planets were a tangent. Yeah. Is there, what about uh, when you talk about that flying off in a tangent, is there, since Jupiter has so much mass nowhere near the of the sun, is it possible that we might one planet or two planet kind of follow after Jupiter because of the amount Ooh, of gravity that it has? 
Excellent mm. question, Chuck. Uh, I would say that you would have to do the calculation at that precise moment, right? Because the positions of the planets relative to one another keep varying on a second-by-second -second basis. They all orbit at different rates and at different distances from the sun. But if at the moment that the sun disappeared, the planets were within Jupiter's sphere of influence, in other words, we weren't at escape velocity with respect to Jupiter, then indeed we would start moving toward Jupiter and there's a real possibility that we would wind up orbiting Jupiter after a right. long period You can period picture of if we're on one side of the sun headed to the left and the Jupiter's on the other side of the sun headed, or head, headed the other way, and then we lose the gravity. Jupiter's in one direction, we're in the other. So we're, we're not catching Jupiter at that point. So, exactly, right. Yeah, right. so it, that's you, right. right, Charles, you, you'd have to really, uh, you can do probably do the math on that and see what planets would get together. It would not that. be That'd too be hard. Fun. Yeah, it would not be too hard to do the math, but it would be, uh, it yeah, would be really cool, it, actually. I'd love to. I don't want to try this it. would be the sun bandits. But I think it would be really neat. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so guys, we got to oh, take a quick oh. break. When we come back, more Star Talk Sports Edition grab bag cosmic queries on Star Talk. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition cosmic queries grab bag, and you know mm. I need help with the grab bag. So we got Charles Liu, our geek in chief, with hey, us. Hey, hey. And by the way, Star Talk fans, we retooled the categories of our Patreon membership. And so I uh, want to see what those new categories are that might uh, entice you if you haven't been a Patreon member before. Uh, this new structure might uh, resonate with you. And of course, you'd find that at patreon.com slash Radio. So check that out. Because all the questions we were responding to today are from Patreon members. That's one That's of the right. privileges and one of the perks. All right, so stop sending them to me and join Patreon. <laughs> okay. Stop trying, to, stop trying to game the system. Game the system, yeah. right. <laughs> and, and, and so, Gary, this is, uh, this is Star Talk Sports Edition. Why don't we get yes. into the sports questions? Oh, you're so impatient. Yes. Uh, we're going to get there. Sports. In, yeah. Sports. Yay, go sports. Uh, segment three. Uh, Segment three, I'll look forward to yeah, that. Yeah, but our Patreon audience are so inquisitive. Their cosmic curiosity is so deep and intense. I felt the need to just bring that forward okay. and not just hog all those questions. All right, get warmed sport, up so. with the actual universe. All right, we're going to okay. go off and do our stretches. And all right, let's do it. And, next question. All right, next question up. Nefertiti? Yeah. Okay, I might mangle that one. <laughs> so, uh, which of the laws of... Interesting question, this. Which of the laws of physics could you change and have the least effect on everyday life? Oh, geez. Ooh. Oh, wow. Well, they're all so interconnected, right, Neil? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if you can tweak any one thing and it not just like totally unravel the entire tapestry of the earth and the world and everything we do. I guess yeah, I, I got to agree with yeah. I got to agree with you, Charles, yeah. on that. I, they're, they're so interconnected. Right. That if you change one thing, that's the beginning mm -hmm. of the end of everything you know and love in this right. world. It, it, I, All right, how I, about this one? Let me give you guys an, uh, my, my, my example. Just okay. Out of craps and giggles. <laughs> okay. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. Suppose mm -hmm. we made the reaction opposite, but not equal. Yes. Ah. Uh, well, already we, in, in, in reality... We have these things called friction and viscosity, right? They, mm. they dissipate some of the action when it comes back. So to some extent, it is a lesser reaction, like a, by a tiny fraction, if you take these dissipative forces into account. So maybe if it were a tiny, tiny bit different, you know, that's a great point, Chuck. It's very possible that we would not notice. So it would have to be a very small change, but maybe... You know, if it were at the 99.99999% level true, and then you just had a mm. tiny, tiny fraction of percent dissipating, we might not be able to tell on a daily basis because all of the rest of our, um, all the rest of our interactions are so large compared to that fraction. You know, that's so a, let me geek out a little. Are you saying, Neil? Yeah. Are you saying, Neil, that and, and Charles, 
that there is a natural tolerance, albeit a small, very tiny one, in the laws of physics? Possibly. Or are they, it's right. that and nothing else? You know, and, and that may be the point, right, Neil? Uh, I know mm. You're about to say something along these lines, but if the constants of the universe, gravitational, speed of light, whatever, were all tiny, tiny bit different, like different one part in a billion or something, maybe in our daily lives we would not notice. But over the history of the universe, things would be so fundamentally changed that our existences would just not be the same. Yeah, or we wouldn't exist at all. I'll give an example. There's a, there's a fun calculation you do in astrophysics graduate school. And I know the word fun and calculation are not always in the same <laughs> sentence. Bring it on. So what you do is you ask yourself, suppose the gravitational constant, this was predicted to exist by Isaac Newton, ultimately measured by a fellow named Cavendish, and this gravitational constant, if it was slightly different, what effect would it have on, for example, the luminosity of the sun? Okay, because the sun's energy, the, 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 the weight of all the mass and the pressure and the temperature and the nuclear reactions, all of this. When you do that calculation, <laughs> you find that the luminosity of the sun depends to the seventh power yeah. on the gravitational constant. Yeah. Damn. I, I remember so doing that So if the gravitational constant was was a tiny bit higher, yeah. then the luminosity of the sun would be unacceptably high for anything we enjoy and love here on Earth yeah. in our Goldilocks zone. I remember that calculation, Neil. That's fun. I know we didn't go to grad school together, but it was it's it's that mental exercise. And and I I remember thinking, wow, if we just change uh the gravitational constant of the universe by a tenth of a percent, then the surface of the earth would be uninhabitable. Right, right, right. Oh, so, wow. so, so it's not that everything is in delicate balance. Don't think about it in those terms. It's that we are what works with the properties that exist in this universe, right? Yes, and if you change it, we're not here, but maybe something else would be here in those other, under those other conditions, but it wouldn't be anything we know and love. Right. Oh, well, there yep. you have it. So your answer is, if it's if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, every day would be Christmas. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, that's exactly you know what, what we said. If you want to right. talk about mm. the Big Bang Theory, that's a great point. You know what, Chuck? Because if the expansion rate of the universe were different, then it would not affect us as much during the lifetime of human beings on the Earth, right, Neil? If if the Hubble constant were say half of what it is now or double what it is now, then it would make a big difference billions of years from now. But at this moment in the evolution of our society and of human civilization, it would not make that big of an effect. I worry that if the Hubble constant were too high, then in the early universe, the matter would not have coalesced. Right. We right. would have expanded and then never formed stars and yeah. galaxies. Yeah, yeah. It's a before so, thing instead of an after thing in that case. Right, and I'm just mm -hmm. saying there are people who get religious about this and say, oh, you see, everything is perfectly tuned for us. No, we are perfectly, perfectly tuned, tuned for it. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, wait, one other thing, quick, quick thing. You mentioned the Big Bang Theory and if and buts were candy and nuts. What was that thing? Mm -hmm. Be Christmas every day. Christmas okay. every day. My first of two cameos on the TV sitcom Big Bang Theory, Sheldon recited that very same poem to my face. Oh, oh really? That's yes. A, that, that's why that's I awesome. know it, Neil. That's okay. very cool. <laughs> <laughs> first time I ever uh, heard that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, here we go. Let's dive in even deeper. Joey Medici has inquired, could a body of mass have two different strengths of gravity? Think a giant meteor or a planet shaped like a cone. Would the end with more mass have more pull? And then fin finishes up with thanks. Yes. The answer hey, is Charles, yes. Charles, let me take this one. I got Go this for one. It. So, right. yes. First, the answer is yes. Um, generally, when we do calculations, we simplify it and we talk about objects that are spherically symmetric, not only in, in radius, but in distance from the center. And uh, so that makes the calculations come out easy. But geologists, geophysicists, oil prospectors have gravimeters where they're looking for distortions in the overall average gravity of the Earth that will tell them 
where something heavier than the normal gravity or lighter than the normal gravity might be found. And that's how they found the undersea crater from 65 million years ago, which was the smoking gun that took out the dinosaurs from the asteroid that hit in the Yucatan Peninsula. So if you redistribute matter, the cone is an extreme example, but if you redistribute it anyway, we have the power to find out where the extra mass deposits are versus where they're not. And yeah, right. gravity is not always just coming, quote, from the center. That's right. No, Joey's point is a very good one. And it shows up in other astronomical activities too. So for example, when we try to send spacecraft to orbit asteroids or other small bodies in the solar system, we have to take into account the fact that at every different point in that spacecraft's orbit, it is experiencing a slightly different gravitational acceleration from the asteroid because the asteroid's shape is not perfectly uniform and spherical. Yeah, so the gravitational constant of the universe stays the same no matter where you are, but the distribution of mass and how far away you are from that distribution affects the gravitational force you feel all the time. You got so it. So let me ask you this. Is there any uh, part of astrophysics where the answer is, ah, that's good enough? <laughs> yes, yes. My... My my, it's like my all your PhD, calculations are so precise. My my thesis committee said precisely that on whether or not they wanted to give give me my PhD. Ah, close oh, enough. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> stop it. You stop that now. No, you, you <laughs> all right? Um, continuing with um, a kind of earthbound and slightly geophysical approach, David Williams has asked both Neil and Chuck. How far do you predict the tectonic plates will move or churn before tectonic activities stop on Earth? Uh, you'll be dead. That's the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, I don't know why. So, so, Charles, let me offer you a, calcul a fast back of the yeah, envelope. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So, Mars has, is it one-eighth our surface area? Is that right? Roughly. Um, roughly. I think roughly one-eighth our surface area, and generally you radiate the heat through your surface, mm. okay? Mars has no tectonic activity. We think it may have at one point, but it's completely mm. cooled. So I'm just wondering, maybe we have to be around eight times as long as Mars has been to reach the state that Mars is in right now, yep. or whenever Mars had stopped its activity. What do you think of that back of the envelope? I think that makes a lot drawn? of sense. Uh, the... The general consensus right now is that Mars's tectonic activity stopped about one to two billion years, I believe, after it formed, wow. which means that we have somewhere between, say, 10 and 20 billion years worth of tectonics going on uh, in yeah. our Earth before we run out of internal heat. If we do that right now, we're at about four and a half billion. So um, the tectonic plates currently move at about the rate at which your fingernails grow. That is a, an inch or two per year. Uh, so wow. if you go a couple inches a year and you go for 15 wait, million wait, Charles, years. Wait, Charles, you've never been to a black salon? The nails grow way faster there. <laughs> yeah, just they can grow in as quick as uh, five to seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A little uh, bit of glue and you're all yeah, in. That's no. right, you're right. Okay. Thank you for providing me that extra context. Walked in, look, walked in looking like nubs, walked out looking like Freddy Krueger. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so if you go in a couple inches a year for about 15 billion years, uh, then that's a pretty fair distance you could travel. Now, the caveat, of course, as we all know, Neil um, and Chuck and Gary, is that five billion years from now, uh, the sun is going to go red giant and the solar system have other and the entire Milky about. Way is yeah. going to crash yeah. into the Andromeda galaxy, right? So by then... I don't think tectonics will be an issue. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, there you go. So how would you like to die? Go ahead. Take, yeah. But it poison. also means, just to be clear, if you if the tectonic... If Earth cools off, there's no volcanoes. That's right. right. There's no earthquakes. Right. There's no... None of that. That's right. None there's none of that. That whole ring of fire, all that ends. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And would mountains continue to, be, to no, grow? No, they'd be an end. That'd be yeah, end the end of mountain. The end of everything. It. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you can just wow. look at Mars to sort of see what happens once there's no more plate tectonics, right? Or the moon, for example. Um, they 
have these things and they sit there and they're big and they just don't ever change. Right. Oh. Right. Okay, on that cheerful note. That was um, boring. <laughs> the, the next question comes from Captain James Riley. So um, I'm guessing that's a title we should appreciate. Why don't we have a deep sea base yet? If we want to explore alien worlds, we've got some right here and that we just seem to be not interested. So he's, he's encouraging now, come on, Elon, let's go to the bottom of the ocean. I'm saying Elon. It's more a James Cameron thing. Mm-hmm. So the, I uh, bet Charles and I agree on this, but I'm going to lead mm-hmm. off and Charles, you, I'm going to hand you the baton. Please. It is way easier to go into space than to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Chief. Charles, yeah. that's my hand off to you. It is not necessarily way easier. It is easier in some ways and harder in other ways to go into mm-hmm. space compared to being the bottom of the ocean. But I believe that the main reason we haven't gone down as much as we've gone up is because there are, uh, shall we say, social and political advantages to going up as opposed to going down. If you want wow. the high ground, and companies and, and corporations and countries are always looking for the high ground, you don't go down to the bottom of the ocean. You go up into orbit. You go up into space. Well, okay, but however, in uh, the Second World War, the low ground was the realm of submarines. Yes, and but who so do you think it, made a bigger difference? The submarines or the airplanes? Yeah, the airplanes, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, it depends yeah. on which movie you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I did I mean, like, das, you know, Das Boot was pretty das awesome. And Red October mm-hmm. Red, and yeah. Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide, you know. uh, We got them all. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so, uh, what are the, Charles, what are the pressures at the Marianas Trench? Well, let's see. Every time you go down about 32 feet is equivalent of one Earth atmosphere at the Earth's surface. Oh, my gosh. So if you go down 35,000 feet, that's more than 1,000 atmospheres. So that's 15,000 pounds per square inch, thereabouts. Right, and the difference between one atmosphere and space is one atmosphere. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. So so there is a structural issue. That's kind of my point about it. space is a little structurally. Space is not trying to crush you like a grape. <laughs> and yet we have sent things down into the Marianas Trench and it has yeah. they have come back. Right? Yeah. They have. So uh, we have they're yet they're flatter when they come back, but right. guys, we gotta take a quick break. Quick break when we come back, Star Talk, Cosmic Queries, Sports Edition. And Gary, promise us we're going to get to some sports questions in the we third We will. Show. Yes. Let, when we return on Star Talk. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. Cosmic Queries grab bag. I got Charles Liu with me. Uh, Charles, what projects are you working on now? Oh, this is quite a year for me. Thank you for asking. Um, scientifically, uh, we're about to launch into a lot of work with my JWST, uh, James Webb Space Telescope, and Rubin Observatory colleagues. Got some projects that are ramping up nice. now. Yeah. So you, you can talk to us when as as developments oh. continue to roll off the, you know, yeah. roll it, off the oh, assembly line. It'll be a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and uh-huh. I'll be talking a little bit about that too in season two of my podcast, The Luniverse with Dr. Charles Liu which will be dropping soon. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. The, the universe. I love it. Love it. I didn't come uh, up with that name, all but fine I like podcast, the <laughs> We're all fine podcasts are found. Indeed. Yeah. All right. All right. Let, let's keep going. Gary, what do you got? Okay. I can't do this name as much justice as Chuck, but I'll, I'll, I'll have a go at it. Alejandro Reynoso oh. from Monterrey, <laughs> Mejo. <laughs> Sorry, Alejandro. Um, I, I just cannot, cannot yeah, you compete. you can't do it. Can't do I just it. can't compete with Lord Nice. Not a chance. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, he wishes us well and has a question. How the weather affects a football match? For example, when it's snowing, is there anything players can do to compensate? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the natural elements uh, affecting an outdoor game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, first, I, the NFL has gotten wimpy because they're, they always put the Super Bowl, which takes place in January, February, in some southern climate. When it's the old days, I remember they'd be they, they you couldn't even see the lines on the field, and the and the the linesmen would line up, mm. and you'd see smoke coming out of their noses. Yeah, 
The Super Bowls were always held in warm climates before they had internal stadiums. That's true. But there are no, okay, NFL championship mm. games, right? The, the very famous one a uh, long time ago, Green Bay Packers, uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the Bart Starr, he was like crushed up and he looks old and stuff. There was, was a Super the Bowl. Snowball? There was Snowball. They, they, there was a Super Bowl held at, um, in New Jersey uh, one mm-hmm. time, not too long ago. They not tried to do that. Long. Didn't work out so well. Uh, and of course, uh, Peyton Manning was crushed 34 to 8. I'm so sorry to say. Although he did, in fact, eventually get a Super Bowl win later with the Devin Broncos. So, you know, he retired out. Anyway, too much, too much, too much. Okay. Yes. If you have a problem with the weather, you have to adapt. Uh, if it's American it's- football, right, you have to throw the ball uh, a little bit shorter, a little bit faster. If you are running the ball, uh, then you have to wear different shoes or you have to change your step a little bit. There's lots of mm-hmm. things that you have to make adjustments for. Uh, as for so, so Charles, the, the ball's not as not as t- uh, sticky. Correct. When it's, it's also very harder, cold. Right. So the it's surface, harder. It's yeah, harder. It's, it's harder to move. And it's almost as not, if it were, say, inflated a little bit out. extra. No, yeah. Let some of the Just air let out. some of the air yeah, out. You know, why not? Totally it, deflates. it took you that long deflates. to get deflates. it. Why really? not? Oh, you know. Well, no, but, but, but Charles, in, yes. in automotive, yes. all right, in winter, mm-hmm. whatever was the pressure in your tires, yes. uh, it drops just automatically. Yes, it drops a little the, bit. That's right. It drops a little bit. So you have to put extra air in your tires over the winter mm-hmm. to maintain your standard tire pressure. I presume in the in the football, they got to put more air in to get the same, uh, was it six to nine pounds of pressure per square inch or whatever that yeah, is? You, you do. And, and as a result, you know, the way you inflate or deflate a football, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the temperature or whatnot, or whether the quarterback likes it this way or that, and in high altitude, can or low altitude, that's all to be right. just a little squishy. Yeah. I mean, and in I fact, the affect things, right? And and that's not allowed. Okay, it's not allowed. There's a range, and if you want to exceed that range, and and because you know you uh, want to have an advantage, or you feel better throwing the ball or catching the ball, you're not allowed to do that. That's just not part of the rules. But yes, you have to make adaptations as a player too. And uh, if you're a, a non-U.S. football player, I don't know how often you play in the snow, but I can only imagine how hard it is to play in the snow there. Uh, I remember yeah, I have... Yeah, I mean, if it's fresh snow, Charles, yeah. uh, what they do is they they clear the lines on the field. Mm. So as you can see, the lines, but they'll invariably leave the snow as long as it doesn't get too deep. But there is a kind of guideline, can the ball roll uh-huh. through the snow? So if it if the snow's compacted and it can roll over the top, then they'll play. If it's too deep, they won't play. If it were, for instance, if it's really windy, yeah. you will not kick the ball too high in the air because it's more at the mercy of the prevailing winds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the so if providing there's no snow involved, you would keep the ball on the surface and not get it up too much. If you think it's going to be like wet or snowy, then and it's not too windy, then you get it airborne more because then it doesn't get stuck. Getting caught in the in the wet service or the snow is a, totally you would it's adapt and survive. It's a it's a it's a simple principle. You change the style of game you have to accommodate for the the weather. Mm. Uh, so so um, uh, one of our producers for this segment, Lane, uh, mm-hmm. both she and I, not at the same time because I'm like way older. Uh, <laughs> we both rowed, and one of the things we know when we're rowing, uh, you've seen rowers on the river, perhaps uh, the as the oar goes into the water, they do what's called, they feather the blade. So mm. the, the blade goes into the water, comes out, and it gets feathered so that when it moves backwards against the air, it reduces the air friction, and then it feathers back and then goes in. So mm-hmm. this rotation of the blade is to reduce air resistance. However, if you have a tailwind, you don't feather. Because the blades then become the, your sails. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, so there are tactical uh, changes that you invoke depending on on, on how this works. No, that's great. And if you're in a, and if you're in Wisconsin on a lake, then you you don't go anywhere. You run. It's frozen. You run. Frozen. 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 <laughs> frozen solid. Frozen Get your solid. skates out. That's right. <laughs> so the other the other thing, Neil, is um, if you're a, a track and field athlete and you're a thrower, and there's a crosswind, you then use that, but you have to use it to throw into. So is it then? brings you back into the center of the 
the arc. Possibly, to but uh, the discus actually famously mm. goes farther into the wind yeah. than uh, um, than with the wind. So because it, it it's it becomes an airfoil and it coasts yeah. on the up the uplift with javelins. No, I mean I don't think you, so. Yeah, I don't think so yeah. with javelins. No, I've had the experience of throwing javelins. So you, I got caught in a crosswind and it was listen just to you, Mister Mister Olympic athlete. Listen to you, not Olympic athlete. But when I threw a javelin, yes, when, when I. When I stepped out of the Grecian urn, I was, when, when I was modeling for the Grecian, <laughs> the Greek potters gave me a leave so that I yes, could. Yes, that's right. To protect my modesty. <laughs> All right, give right, me some more a, here. Let's have another question here. Um, mm -hmm. All right, this this is from Bill Williamson, and greetings from Essexville, Michigan. Wait, that means his that name existed. is William Williamson. Mm. Yes. Just checking. Or okay. Bill. All right, survival programs and competitions have occupied a special niche in American TV for a while. By survival here, I mean programs such as Alone, Not Survivor. Yeah. It's a rather long question. Um, let's see. Um, I can't recall hearing anyone talk about how expertise in physics might shape a contestant's choices of survival gear. Um, once Completely. watched Les Stroud light a fire with a parabolic mirror that he fashioned from the bottom of an aluminium can. That Les that Stroud polished. is superhuman. That right. that so, guy, yeah. pretty amazing. Now the one, the the the, the curiosity now comes. Uh, what non-standard survival gear or preparations would us as gentlemen uh, <laughs> might take to demonstrate the value of scientific knowledge and know-how in the survival situation? Um, so okay, look at this. We're stuck somewhere we don't want to be, so we need to navigate. We quite need water for survival. We'll need food. Wait, are we naked? Like in Naked and Afraid? <laughs> um, I hope not. But that's a survival. I haven't so, ruled, I mean, I haven't well, ruled it. It matters, right? Because you, yeah. you want to okay. freeze, literally so we, uh, so freeze we, your gonads. So right. here we go. Be good if we had a sextant. We could navigate our way mm -hmm. out of a bit of, or knowledge of uh, astronomy. So as we could possibly navigate, navigate our way out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, water. So could we then generate something from condensation? Sure. Of course. So, no problem. So that way's there. And then we've got to hunt and gather. We've got to go back to stay alive and go and find in nature what it is. So a knowledge of botany. Yeah. And or the Botany flora so you know how fauna. to not die from your plants. Yeah. yeah. Don't eat that. That'll kill you. <laughs> that kind of basic stuff. So what do we think, gentlemen? What could we bring scientifically? to survive in the great unknown. I, I would bring outdoors. my smartphone that has Uber Eats on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's great as long as you get a signal. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm bringing. Um, speaking of the, oh, the long meals lines, a satellite mm. phone. That's what I'm bringing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's and right. I'm good, and I'm good to go. Come get me. That's it. Did you see that FedEx commercial that was a riff on... The on um, what's that movie that Tom Hanks was in? Um, Wilson. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, what was the name yeah. of that movie? Um, Survivor. No, no, no. no. What, uh, what was it called? Uh, Castaway. 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 So, so, so there's a TV commercial for FedEx, right? Yeah, and they showed the Tom Tom Hanks character, right, delivering this FedEx package. Years later, to its address, because they always deliver. Okay. Oh my and, god! And she said, and she said, "Oh, thank you. It's a little late, but thank you." And he turns away, but then he turns back and said, "I just have to know what was in that package." <laughs> and she said, "Oh, a, a satellite phone, some seeds." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, maps? Yeah, yeah, that's all that was in it. So thank you. That's great. So uh, I would <laughs> I, I would say um I would take a cue from the movie that uh, presumably was in the book as well, uh, Black Stallion. Okay. Mm. And in that, the the little boy who survived, the the he learned from his father, he says, You always want a pocket knife. Yep, I was gonna say. I want a giant knife and a magnifying glass. That's yeah. what I want. Yeah, a knife because there's nothing on our body that can do what a knife can do. Right. Right? And so your teeth sort of, but not as well. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the one tool that if you had to have a survival tool, 
uh, that would help. And a magnifying glass, certainly, you can make fire at any time. That's Otherwise, right. you got to do it the caveman way, which is yeah. you can still do it. Right. String mm-hmm. of a, yep. Screw that string yeah. and sticks yeah. crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, for, you know, forget that string and stick uh, crap. Remember that. Magnifying glass right. Remember and a giant knife. <laughs> remember what a knife is, right? In physics, it's a simple machine. It's a wedge. It's a yeah. very, right. very sharp wedge. And right. so uh, that is physics, right? Uh, and then the other right, thing Charles, I would tell think us about, what the five machines are. Just the five? There. Oh, there's the pulley thing. There's a wheel and axle thing. There's yeah. a wedge thing. Uh, there's a lever thing. And, and there's an inclined, an inclined plane. plane thing. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. These are the five basic yeah. uh, right. machines in physics. Yeah. And these so, are machines that will take energy invested at one rate and, and it changes the rate on the other end at which it gets invested. So the screw, you left out the screw. No, the screw is a wedge that's been coiled. That's a wedge. Mm -hmm. So it's how you can crank a car, right? Because you're not strong enough to lift the car, but you could move something the equivalent of yards in distance and then the the car moves up an inch. Yeah. Right? So it took all that energy to move it and then it packed Mm. it into that one inch. So it changes the ratio of invested energy. That's right. So, Yeah. yeah. So cool, so cool. So cool. Yeah. Oh, the, the knife is the thing, man. And, <laughs> and when you think, and think about it, think about how many um, foods that grow wild that we can't eat mm-hmm. because we don't have the strength or the teeth to cut them open. And a knife just allows you to go ahead. Coconuts. I mean, right, you, gotta, right. you, you, you got a knife, man. You know, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would also want actually some sort of a, a blanket. Uh, maybe one of those thermal mylar-based blankets to keep myself warm. Uh, See, but those are very knife, small. They, they, with a knife, you can kill and skin a bear, and you got a <laughs> and you got a coat. Now you got a coat. Yeah, but but it smells bad and until you run it through the and door. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, the the blanket, like these mylar blankets, the space blankets, things, right? They're very yeah. warm and they fit into a pocket. Once you fold them up, they're very, very small. This is what small. they give to the marathon right. runners when right. they finish the race. Exactly. Right. Whereas, right, right, you know, right. bears are very large. They don't fit in your pocket all that easily. So it's going to take yeah. a while. Not to mention you have to hunt so it I'm down. I'm not sure I want to bring a knife to a bear fight. <laughs> <laughs> really. Just, I'll see that working yeah. out well yeah, that, for that's me. Not so, that's not so fair. All right. Let's uh, try to fit in like one last question here. All right. James Parrish here. He's uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. I have a baseball question. Uh, if you will, well, I like the way you said that, Gary, because Birmingham is fr- if, in the UK. Is it yes. Birmingham? Birmingham. Here's Birmingham. 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 Chuck, say it the way a southerner would say it. Birmingham. <laughs> okay. That's right. Alabama. <laughs> right. Go on. Sweet home. Birmingham. So pic- Birmingham. Here we go. Picture, if you will, a hitter that knows for their speed and proclivity to slide head first. Think about a, a Ricky Henderson or a Pete Rose, for example. And they're at bat. They hit a little dribbler down to third baseline. A third baseman charges in, bare hands the ball, and makes a throw to the first. It is going to be a close play. Will our speedster reach first base quicker by diving for the bag or running through the bag? Oh, a classic, classic so question. So here we go. Charles, what is our physics? Okay. Settle this, Charles. All right, here's the physics of the situation. You will go faster if you are running than when you are diving. General. However, if you're trying to go a very short distance very fast, the dive can help if you launch yourself with both feet off the ground, giving yourself that extra little propulsion for that short distance that you're airborne before you hit the ground. So if you are, say, inches away and you want that last little extra bit, go ahead and dive. But if you are trying to make up a few feet or even a foot or something like that, keep running. Now, Wait, but Charles... Your, your two feet are never together when you're running. That's the thing. So that, that's, you, a, that's not a realistic you, situation. That's right. So you have right. to find a way. If you're going to make your dive, you got to put both feet into the final propelling push. And so that's why when normally— So that you would go faster than you would have had you been only been pushed forward with correct. one foot at any, at any given time. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the important caveat, right? When we are horizontal, we are a few feet longer than when we're vertical. Right. Mm-hmm. So when Ricky Henderson used to dive, what he was gaining the advantage of was twofold. One, he would be ducking below the tag. And second but of that's all, why, that's why this is specifically for first base. That's right. And second of all, right. Second of all, he's got 
uh, that extra two or three feet horizontally to touch the bag with his hands that he otherwise would have had to do with his with his feet because you have to stop, mm. right? He used his belly uh, to slow himself down without having to use the slide effect. Um, I wonder if Ricky Henderson and some of these headfirst divers actually wear like thicker uniforms to prevent themselves. Wait, Charles, from we're talking scraped. about first base. You don't have to slow down going into first if base. If you're talking it, about first base, that's then, the question. Right. And, the, the, mm-hmm. and our boy knew that in the question. Right? Now, yeah, this is not a, avoiding a tag. Yep. You're not slowing down so you don't overrun it. Mm-hmm. And and so, well, how about this, Charles? Yeah. Um, there's when my head would have reached the bag, mm-hmm. but there's when my outstretched arm Arms. would have reached the bag. Yep. Because I can extend my arm faster than I can run. That's right. So if you can coil yourself up in such a way that you give yourself that last two or three feet, right, going to first base, fine. But usually it's not. Think also, most runners are still accelerating when they get to first base, Right. If you're running a hundred yard dash, you mm. don't actually reach your maximum speed until you know so later in, later in yeah, the yeah, race. Like halfway 30, in. Right. Halfway 30 meters. So uh, yeah. the distance from one base to another in Major League Baseball is ninety feet, right? So you've got thirty yards. It's only basically. thirty yards. That's it's right. Only thirty yards. So you're still right. speeding up. So you don't want to cut off your acceleration by diving. Once you leave your feet, you're not speeding up anymore. You have to use yeah. your body shape, right? Your reach, whatever to compensate for the fact that you're no longer accelerating. So, Chuck, what Charles is saying is anyone who slides into first base is a physics idiot. That's what right. he's saying. That's unless, what he unless they understand the concepts of rigid body motion and flexible body motion and moments of inertia, in which case they could actually gain a slight advantage. Okay. Would it be advantageous to go foot, feet first in a slide? Right. Rather and, than and here's first. And here's what I'm going to say. Anyone who understands uh, moments of inertia and rigid body motion is not diving headfirst into face. <laughs> not. Yeah. That most likely, they will have yeah. already done well, such a good job hitting the ball that they would just right. be able to coast into first, round the base, <laughs> yeah, and decide exactly. whether or not to take second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thanks for this bit of insight here. And uh, yes, it matters whether it's first base or second yep. uh, for this question, That's of right. course. But guys, that's all we have time. Oh, we were today. just getting into it. It's been a delight, uh, Charles Liu, my friend and colleague, uh, to join us once again. Always a as pleasure. Our geek, uh, as our geek in chief. Thank you uh, so much, Chuck Gary. Always good to have you there. As always, my as This has been a Star Talk Sports Edition Cosmic Queries Grab Bag. Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up. 